Good morning. Welcome to Jays Talk Plus. Happy Wild Card Day. The Toronto Blue Jays and Minnesota Twins in playoff action. 4:38 later today. You can find it on Sportsnet. You can find it on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You can find it on Sportsnet Plus on the Sportsnet app. Uh, if it is Toronto Blue Jays today. It is Sportsnet, and if it is Sportsnet today, it's Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, we've got wall-to-wall Jays programming today. I'll be followed later by J.D. Bunkus doing a, a couple hours on the Jays. He'll be followed by Show Ali and Ben Shulman giving you a couple hours. Blair and Barker will have a brief pregame for you at 4 o'clock and then be with you for Jays Talk postgame, of course, and then we'll do it all again tomorrow, and then maybe we'll do it all again on Thursday. We'll see how tonight goes. It's Kevin Gosman against Pablo Lopez in game one, as we expected, but that was made official yesterday. Um, the, the Blue Jays confirming that Kevin Gosman will start game one, confirming that Jose Barrios, not Chris Bassett, not Yusei Kikuchi, will start game two. That was our expectation, but the Blue Jays took away any, uh, any curiosity there and, and announced it ahead of time. So it'll be Kevin Gosman, Pablo Lopez today. It'll be Jose Barrios and Sonny Gray tomorrow. Both teams leaving their third pitchers uh, open for the time being. We are also one minute past when wildcard rosters were due. So at some point during this uh, during this segment, certainly during the show, we will get an official uh, American League wildcard roster from the Toronto Blue Jays. We think we have a pretty good idea of how that's going to look. We think it's going to be 14 position players. It's felt like in doing the analysis and running through scenarios that Hyunjin Ryu is going to be the odd man out there. We'll see if that is uh, officially how it goes down. There are a couple other question marks to keep an eye on as well. Does, uh, you know, does Trevor Richards hold on to his place after a a very tough return from the IL? Is Bowden Francis in the mix? Uh, What's Ricky Tiedemann doing? Didn't pitch in that Arizona Fall League opener yesterday. Uh, By the way, Arizona Fall League did get underway yesterday. And and Damiano Palmegiani, uh, someone who Arden spoke highly of and said to keep an eye on at Arizona Fall League, uh, made his debut there and had three hits and a walk. So a hat tip to Arden for putting us on to that. We have a very loaded show today, as you may expect uh, with the wild card starting today. We will break down those rosters for you once they're out. Uh, we'll have Ben Nicholson-Smith on momentarily here to go through some of those roster decisions, game one lineup decisions, take a look at Kevin Gosman and his history uh, recently against the Minnesota Twins. And uh, we will also take a look at the twin side of things. Do Young Park of MLB.com of twins.com will join us around 1130. We've got Ben Clemens of Fangraphs coming on at 11 to Continue series preview, dive in at the national side. And uh, around 1035, Lance Brozdowski, uh, who's joined us a bunch this year, a pitching analyst, um, he is going to join us around 1035. We will talk to Ben Nicholson-Smith shortly here, uh, just having a little trouble connecting with him. Let's hope the Blue Jays wildcard uh, gets off to a better start than this one. Um, and again, we're waiting on the roster to be announced. It was due out or not due out. It was due to be handed in at 10 a.m. Uh, there's no obligation to uh, to tweet it just yet. Um, look, there is a lot to preview today. We did a lot yesterday. Kevin Gosman, Pablo Lopez is the headline item today. But what you're going to be looking for when the Twins roster comes down has a pretty big impact here as well because the Twins injured list heading into today's big decisions is very, very full. Joey Gallo, Royce Lewis, Carlos Correa, Byron Buxton, 
those are all guys who have a TBD in terms of the return date. Now, we don't think Joey Gallo and, and Byron Buxton are in the mix in this series. They haven't sounded particularly close over the last week or so. Royce Lewis was getting work in yesterday during the kind of open practice portion of the day. Um, Carlos Correa has been dealing with plantar fasciitis, and, and he's an interesting one because he is a veteran with some real playoff experience. He's a leader in that clubhouse. He, he has been through this. He's been a part of World Series teams with George Springer. Um, he was also probably their worst regular, at least early in the year when he was in and out of the lineup with, with foot issues. He finished the season hitting 230 uh, with an OPS uh, of 711. So a little bit below league average when we adjust for park factors and, and things like that. Um, He's also Carlos Correa. If he's good enough to be on the roster, I'd imagine they're going to start him. Uh, Royce Lewis has been arguably their best player in the second half of the season, but he's also, you know, trying to work his way back from a strained hamstring. No time for a rehab assignment. No time for a rehab assignment. Um, it sounded yesterday like if he plays, maybe the running won't be 100% still. Uh, he was a monster this year when he was healthy enough to play. He played in 58 games. He had a 155 WRC plus. So, but more than 50% better than a league average hitter. Uh, he had 309, had a 548 slugging, 15 home runs in just 58 games. So if he's in there, that is a big, big boost to a Minnesota Twins lineup that, yeah, hit the most home runs in the American League, was a top five offensive team. Um, you know, you, you can look at some of the personnel here and wonder how that's going to hold up in a playoff series. And one of the biggest questions with the Minnesota Twins, with their offense, with their run prevention, is, well, how much of a factor is the AL Central? They played 20 fewer games against winning teams than the Toronto Blue Jays did. That is historically one of the worst divisions in the history of baseball. Obviously, to some degree, numbers are inflated. However, still a really interesting lineup. You have Edouard Julien, a Canadian kid who obviously drew some attention in the world baseball classic with a strong performance. He rolled that into, you know, early in the season, he was hitting whenever he was called up, but they kept sending him down to the minors because they had roster crunches. Uh, he ends up getting into 109 games, hitting 16 home runs and 16 doubles. He is someone who can really work a plate appearance and draw a walk. That's a nice table setter at the top of the lineup. If Royce Lewis is healthy, he would factor into the top three there somewhere in the order, which lets Jorge Polanco move to either a bench role or a, a role hitting further down in the lineup. That would, that would depend a little bit on, you know, Carlos Correa's status, how they want to use Kyle Farmer, things like that. Uh, and then the middle of the order has Alex Kirilov and, and Max Kepler in it as well. If it's a lefty on the mound, usually you'd see Will, Willie Castro and old friend Trev Jordan Luplo in there, but uh, obviously the Blue Jays are not going to start a lefty in this series, we don't think. So you're looking at Julianne, Lewis, Kirilov, and Kepler if everything goes to plan. Um, and then the depth options on this team have all hit really well this season as well. Um, Donovan Solano, maybe not a ton of power, but he has a 370 OBP on the season, and he's someone that they can plug into a couple different positions there to round things out. Matt Walner hit 14 home runs in less than a half season uh, of work, a little bit boomer bust in that profile, but we're still talking about another lefty with a near 900 OPS who hits in the bottom third of the order for that team. Um, Michael A. Taylor somehow hit 21 home runs this year. Uh, he's supposed to be a glove first, defense first, pinch runner slash center field uh kind of specialist and he hits uh, a career high in home runs this year. Maybe you're not buying that long-term, 
It also came at the cost of uh, batting average and OBP. He certainly became a more aggressive hitter uh, in in search of that extra power. Um, you know, a two seventy eight OBP. You're, you're not you're not too worried about him as an overall piece. But when your defense first center fielder is rounding out your lineup with a twenty home run season and can steal a base, uh, that speaks to the depth of this team a little bit. We'll see what they do with Willie Castro. If he's in the lineup, that's another guy who, you know, nine home runs this year, but more importantly, stole 33 bases. We know that at times this year, Kevin Gosman has struggled with controlling the run game. Alejandro Kirk has not. He's been very good in some aspects of defense this year by the metrics we have available. Maybe the best pitch blocker in baseball, maybe the best pitch framer in baseball. Um, Certainly one of the better defensive catchers when it comes to those things combined, but controlling the run game is not a specialty of him or Kevin Gosman. So if Willie Castro gets a start, that's another thing to worry about. Um, Look, we'll see the twins roster shortly here and we'll see how some of those injury decisions came down. But this is a team that despite the AL central of it all has some things that can threaten you. Uh, We are joined now by Ben Nicholson Smith of Sportsnet, MLB Insider. Uh, ben, good morning. How you doing? How's Minnesota? Well, uh, good morning, Blake. Uh, it is good to be here in Minnesota and um, looking forward to watching some playoff baseball. It should be fun. Always a good time of year for that. And I think the Jays will keep us pretty entertained the next few days. Yeah, I think so. Um, so I guess the, the big question on everyone's mind is, uh, are we getting a, a BNS notebook today? <laughs> I... Um, I will definitely be filing. I will definitely be filing a couple of stories. Uh, will it be a notebook? I mean, we will see what form my writing takes, but um, probably not a notebook in all honesty. You'll probably write uh, a little bit of a breakdown of the wildcard roster um, shortly and then have something coming out of the game. Really, TBD, that's the beauty of these uh, these playoff games. You never know what you're going to write until the day really unfolds in front of you. Yeah, I I have an idea, Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, you are at the mercy of not only how the game goes, but also of what shy and your other counterparts want to write. That's always the uh, the interesting part as well. But you're you're the MLB editor here at at Sportsnet.ca, so you can kind of uh, you know you can assign yourself the best story, right? That's how it works. Yeah, yeah, maybe I'll have. See if Shy wants to write about the Padres uh, front office decisions, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take the I'll take the Jays Twins game. No, so, no, I mean it's 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 honestly pretty pretty straightforward. I think there's the beauty of these games is there are actually so many angles that you know with we have a couple writers here now, right, Shy and myself, and there are so many more angles than we have time in the day to write. So it's as you know, Blake, being a writer yourself, I mean there just there are so many ways you can approach this series. There, there are a lot of ways, and obviously today the biggest question is, well, what does that wild card roster look like? Those were due at 10 a.m. We expect them to be announced officially any time now. Um, I don't know if you, if you have any reporting on this or just your own opinion, but what do you, Ben, anticipate that wild card roster looking like? I expect it'll be 14 position players and 12 pitchers. Um, those were the hints coming out of media day yesterday that the Blue Jays will likely go with the 14 position players. Um, so that's uh, going to set them up to be really flexible late in games with guys like David Schneider, if they need some power with Santiago Espinal, if they just need someone to get on base against the lefty, maybe they're down one, maybe they're tied. They just need a base runner. Espinal can be 
that that player that they deploy against someone like a Caleb Thielbar, who's who's one of the twins lefties out of the bullpen. And then Cam Eden. We've talked so much about Cam Eden and haven't seen him play a ton. We saw him over the weekend, which I think was a really good sign for the Jays. And you really want that speed specialist on a roster this time of year, especially when you have Alejandro Kirk and Brandon Belt likely to start every single game of this series. So John Schneider will have a lot of options late in games. I think that's a really good thing. And he'll still have nine relievers available to him. So that is a lot of flexibility. I expect Trevor Richards to be one of those relievers despite his recent struggles. Um, But they'll have a lot of options late in games. And I think they should be ready to use them because as good as Barrios and Bassett have been all season long, lefties can get to them. So I don't think you want to sit with those guys too, too long. Yeah, it's a it's certainly a risk there if those guys come in and you know maybe they maybe they only go twice through the order. You have nine relievers and hey, it's three game days and then you've got an off day or hey, it may, maybe even two game days. So every game has to kind of be treated as uh, you're throwing everything at the wall. And yeah, I guess the decision to go fourteen and twelve comes down to two things. It's one. The, even in extreme scenarios, short of, you know, the a game goes 13, 14 innings, they think they're covered for three games of pitching with nine relievers back there, which I think makes sense. The other being that, yeah, maybe there's not a utility to having Hyunjin Ryu as a bullpen piece. Um, I, I know, again, that this is the roster is not out yet, but I would imagine if they're going 14 and 12, when we look at what that 28 man roster was on Sunday, Wes Parsons obviously comes off of it. Hyunjin Ryu is the, is the other man out. Do you think that is a fair read on how this will structure? For sure. For sure. I think there's really no need to have Ryu on the roster, just given that um, they will have four starting pitchers. Yusei Kikuchi will be on the roster. So, they will have that depth, um, depending on how they deploy, you say. They could actually use him um, more in shorter stints. But one way or another, they will have enough arms to get through the 27 innings, even if it goes extras one day. Let's say it's 30 innings. Well, off day on either side, you've got those 12 pitchers. They should be able to handle that. So I think that Ryu, especially just given the fact that he didn't really pitch well down the stretch against the Rays in either one of his last two starts, Regardless of the reasons for that, is this a little bit of a dead arm period? Um, has he just, you know, uh, run into, uh, you know, an opponent that, that hits him really well in the race? Who knows? But one way or another, you don't need Ryu right now. That allows you to take more relievers, to have more guys who can come in throwing 95 with some nasty breaking stuff. And that's a really good thing because we are going to see a lot of mixing and matching. I predict we'll see a lot of pitching changes in this series, despite the fact that both teams have really good starting pitching. You know, this is a time of year, as, as you know very well, it, it's just a time of year where you start going to the, the guys in the bullpen a little earlier. And I think we'll see that starting today. And look, this Minnesota Twins team is a fascinating one when you look at them from the John Schneider perspective in that we don't know exactly how their roster is going to shake out yet, but they could conceivably have as many as eight left-handed slash swish hitters. Now, they're not going to start all of those guys, but this is a team that used the pinch hitter more often than any other team that's in the postseason field here. So um, obviously what you're saying about going to the bullpen earlier and using those leverage arms quicker, that is a nature of the postseason anyway Ben how big a test do you think this series is for John Schneider figuring out not only the right times to go to guys the right matchups but kind of anticipating a step ahead with Rocco Baldelli who is on the hitter side maybe the most aggressive mix and matcher in the playoff field 
Yeah, and Baldelli and Schneider, I think, are kind of positioned similarly in the sense that they're probably new school managers. They have done this before, but not a ton of times. They're really still looking for that first playoff success. Um, and so the stakes are high for, for both of them, of course, um, in a way that maybe for Kevin Cash, he's already won uh, a lot of games, a lot of playoff games. Um, and the same could be said of a Dusty Baker, of course, elsewhere in the American League. So I actually think this managerial matchup is pretty interesting. And I do think that Baldelli will not have not be afraid to tinker. I mean, you look at a, a Twins team that has a lot of depth, um, both on the pitching staff, but also on the position player side where they don't have a single 30 home run hitter, but they have a lot of guys in double digits. That's how they ended up leading the league in home runs this year. So I, I do think that we'll see Baldelli use that bench a lot, and that's going to prompt the Blue Jays to go to their bullpen and to try to mix and match. So, of course, you have to think alongside the other manager, but you also, I think you have to sort of stay grounded in, okay, what are the strengths of my team? Because, you know, you you don't want to get necessarily swept up into this game of push-pull with the other guy when really it's not manager versus manager. It's players versus players. And so I think you want to end up with your best players on the field. And if someone tactically can gain a tiny edge there, I mean, good on them. But I think you want to go down or go forward with your best players on the field. Yeah, it's it's uh, that is an interesting one, and that's straightforward for the Blue Jays. I think we know what their nine is going to look like. We think, um, you know, give or take maybe one guy, but I, I think the the starting nine we saw in most of the important games last week is probably their starting nine. I guess before I continue down this this thought, you would agree with that? Yes, hundred percent. Okay, so we we know who the Jays' best nine is. We know who the candidates to be pinch hit for. We certainly know who the candidates to be pinch run for. When when it comes to keeping your best players on the field as long as possible, um, where do you think John Schneider's kind of cutoff point is for when he would maybe pinch run for an Alejandro Kirk or a Brandon Belt? Is there a scenario where you know, early enough in the game where they could still conceivably have another plate appearance ahead. They opt to use a Cam Eden in that spot because maybe the leverage isn't higher, uh, you know, two, three innings from there, even if they do get another plate appearance. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think it somewhat depends on how desperate the Blue Jays are. So in game one, I don't think that there's any chance that we would see Cam Eden pinch run before the seventh inning in the seventh eighth ninth i think we could see that for a belt or for a kirk um certainly eighth or ninth i think even in the seventh but then like if it, if the blue jays lose today and then tomorrow is a literally a must win game you have to win it then i don't know i mean if you're down one in a must win game tomorrow and it's the fifth inning and brandon belt reaches I would probably pinch run right there for, for Brandon Belt. I would probably put Cam Eden in, and then the next time that spot comes up, you still have Davis Schneider. You still have Espinal or Merrifield. So I, I, that's how I would do it. I don't know exactly. I haven't gone that granular in talking to John Schneider about the specifics, but you know, I, I, would, I could see a scenario where it's even like fifth inning. I don't know where you would land on that one, Blake, but like to me, there's actually a case for doing that a little earlier if your season's on the line. Yeah, I, I think so. And look, it's uh, playing for one run is a little bit of a, a tough thing strategically early in a game. Like, like this is, you know, the, the discussions we've all had about quote unquote small ball over the years and the move away from that a little bit. Um, and it's a little easier to do when you're the home team because you have that that certainty and such. Um, but yeah, it, it's uh, 
it is certainly something that you, you do a little earlier than you would in a, in a regular season game. Um, you know, you have to line up, Hey, who, who could come up when, like, obviously if there's a runner on second with fewer than two outs and there's no one in front of them on the bases and it's belt or Kirk, I, I think I go for it as early as you need to, because not only is that, um, you know, score from a single territory, but it's potentially land at third base in a fly ball scenario, which we saw with, with Kirk come up earlier in the year. Um, I, I think I skew more aggressive than most when it comes to starting to tinker early in the game, even though I, I know people don't think of like analytics people or whatever as small ball people, but I, I'm in favor of tinkering earlier than most. Um, so I'm with you there. Uh, with respect to Cam Eden, obviously we didn't see him steal a, a base or attempt a, a stolen base. He took off on one, but Whit Merrifield uh, was struck out. Uh, do you think the, the green light would still be on there, though, if Cam Eden is used in a pinch running situation uh, to steal a base, or is this headed more toward, you know, the, what we've traditionally seen the Jays do with their pinch runners, which is just make sure you're getting first to third on a single, second to home on a single kind of thing? Well, I think it starts with that, but at the same time, I don't think you hesitate to let Cam Eden run. I think you have to be willing to let him run. I think you have to really encourage him to run because I, I think that he can help this team um, in, in those really big situations. And I was actually, you know, this is, this is not exactly the most high stakes play of the Blue Jays season, but I was really surprised that Whit Merrifield was up there hacking the way he was in that situation. I thought there were, that he was more likely, there were two outs at the time, he was batting, I think he took a swing at the first pitch and kept on swinging, you know, throughout that at bat, including at a slider off the plate to end the AB. And I actually thought that that was a little bit of an oversight by Whit Merrifield and that as a team player, he could have um, maybe had a little bit more awareness of the fact that Eden was on first base. And look, you're facing major league pitching. I understand you have to focus on the pitcher on the mound. You have a job to do. Um, so I'm not saying it's like, you know, cut and dry, but I thought that he probably could have let Cam Eden have, a pitch or two, just given the game situation, didn't matter if the Blue Jays won. It was actually probably more important that Cam Eden got a chance to take off there, but it is what it is. End of the day, Cam Eden, you know, one attempt versus zero. It's not going to be a huge amount of experience either way. So you're taking a little bit of a leap of faith, and uh, they're going to need him. I, I think that there's going to be a chance for him to, to run and potentially score a really, really big run for this team, and I, I'd like to see that happen. So, so would I. It's, uh, it's fun, and obviously... You know, it's been a season of kind of frustration for the Blue Jays on the base pass. We heard all year or all offseason about how they'd be better at that kind of thing. And yeah, they have some slow bodies, but these statistics on, you know, their effectiveness base running overall, not just stealing bases, but uh, advancing the extra base, avoiding outs on the base path. They have not been that. So to have a guy on the bench who is, uh, you know, particularly useful in that regard is nice. Uh, on the other side, pinch hit opportunities potentially for Whitmerfield, Santiago Espinal, Davis Schneider. Those are the three righties you would use as potential pinch hitters, given the way we expect the roster to be constructed. Um, the twins only have two lefties in their bullpen and, and Theobar and Funderburk. Um, how aggressive do you think John Schneider will be on the pinch hit side of things? Is that, you know, because they only have, two lefties in there. Maybe you have to be aggressive a little earlier because you might not see another lefty to get those guys in there. Um, you know, I think particularly of Dalton Varsho who they've pinch hit for regularly, but there's a pretty big defensive downgrade. If you do that, unless you can find your way to some sort of, you know, Cam Eden related pinch run, double switch. Um, if you're looking at just the pinch hit side, where's your, where's your appetite for that against a Thunderburger at the old bar? 
I think it's it's a greater appetite with Kevin Biggio than it would be for Kiermaier or for Varsho. Because as you said, Kiermaier and Varsho are just so important when it comes to the defense for this team. So if you're in a tie game, for example, probably don't want to pinch hit for a Dalton Varsho. But look, if you're down three, and again, like we're going to see situations by tomorrow, someone's season is going to be on the line, either the Twins or the Jays. And by Thursday, it could be both. So, you know, we're going to see some some pretty intense situations here. And if the Blue Jays find themselves down a couple of runs and you have your season on the line and it's Dalton Varsho coming up against the lefty, well, yeah, I mean, at that point, I would sacrifice some defense because defense doesn't really matter if you're already losing by three. I mean, it matters, but it doesn't matter in quite the same way. So at that point, yeah, I would go to a David Schneider. So it's very, very contingent, as you would expect, on the kind of game situation, series situation. Um, I think early in the game, you sort of let things play out. And then if there is a Biggio up against a tough lefty in a tie game, really in any situation, I, I, would, I would pinch it for Biggio, but just a little bit different with Varsho, just given his defense. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one there, and obviously game and score situation plays. It's easier to make that decision ahead versus uh, versus behind. So Kevin Gosman's on the hill tonight. Uh, this is uh, this afternoon, rather. It's obviously a, a big one for Kevin Gosman generally. It's also an interesting opponent for him because the Twins have given him some trouble. So he's faced the Twins four times as a Blue Jay. The first time last year. They got to him real good. And that was the game, if you remember last year, where Joe Siddle thought he picked something up in terms of, hey, the Twins have identified something with Gosman's splitter. We can go frame by frame on the way the catcher was setting up. And maybe there was a, a bit of a a bit of a tip in terms of how wide the catcher was setting up or where, you know, how high they were setting up. Now, his next time out against the Twins, he was fine. He was really, really good. They didn't, they chased at the splitter a bunch. Both times this year, though, they've laid off the splitter again. Three of Gosman's six lowest splitter chase rate games have come against the Twins over the last two years. Now, if he were tipping something and the Twins had picked it up, I, I don't, the, the trouble I have with that line of thinking is that in the modern information age, other teams would have picked it up by now as well. And it's, you know, pretty significantly the twins who lay off the splitter the best. Um, what do you make of that? What are you looking for when it comes to Gosman tonight? If that is something on, on his radar? Yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting dynamic because he hasn't struggled against a lot of teams. Um, I think to some extent, this twins team is, is just a good lineup. And they have some hitters like Edward Julian who really have a great idea of the strike zone. Joey Gallo has a great idea of the strike zone. They have a lot of guys with legit power as well. So it's a good offensive team that probably doesn't get a ton of credit. Um, Carlos Correa, obviously, has a, a really good idea of the strike zone and power. So, you know, they're good hitters. And I think their game planning has been excellent against Kevin Gosman, where clearly they've done a really good job of saying, the low pitches that you see from him are likely to be splitters. They're likely to dive out of the zone. You could ignore them. And then they hunt the high fastball and they've done some damage. So it's impressive. And it's obviously easier to say than it is to do, right? Like I can sit here and outline what a team should do. It's a lot harder when you have 97 coming at you and a splitter diving below the zone. And that's the challenge that most major league hitters can't overcome, but the twins have been able to do it. So 
how the Blue Jays counter will be really interesting to me. And I won't be surprised if we see Gosman try to locate some fastballs down in the zone to keep them guessing and maybe throw some splitters in the strike zone, land some splitters for strikes. Now you don't want to get, you know, you don't want to throw splitters too high in the zone and hang them up there for those powerful hitters on the twins. And that's where the give and take is. Um, But that's, it's, going to be interesting to see how that plays out and to see how Gosman counters this lineup. It, uh, it is. And, you know, obviously you're starting game one of the wild card. There is a certain pressure that comes along with that. I think we know Kevin Gosman at this point, you know, the visualizations, the, the maximum chill. Maybe he's not really feeling that pressure. Ben, before I let you go, this is more of a, a narrative and feeling style than you and I normally get into here. Uh, with Bobachet and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., this is their third chance at the playoffs. If you include the 2020 Bizarro playoffs, they are 0-4 in this era and both of those players have had shaky performances in those two series. Now we're talking tiny samples here. We're not drawing any conclusions, but third kick at the can, both of those guys are a little older now. How much pressure do you think is on Boba Shed and Vladimir Guerrero jr. To, you know, ha- have a good series here and be the driving forces in this Jays lineup. I think there's a huge amount of pressure and, you know, I've had the chance to talk to both those guys within the last couple of days here and, get a sense of where they're at. And it's interesting, even, you know, just watching Bichette during that celebration, like you kind of realize, Oh yeah. Like he's been taking on a lot of stress in this whole thing. Cause you see him in the celebration. He's walking around smiling. He's having a great time. You're like, Oh yeah. Like Bo Bichette is not just a robot who plays baseball, you know, and uh, who's out there every single day, you know, going two for four. This is, this has been a lot of pressure because Bobachet and Black Guerrero Jr. care a lot about winning. And that might sound like a cliche, and probably in some cases it is. Um, but I don't think that every single baseball player is, like, obsessed with winning. Um, and that's okay. That's, that's fine. That's, you know, they have, they're still trying to perform to the best of their abilities. Um, but I think that Bo and Vlad both really care. They have a sense of ownership around this team, as others do, John Schneider, Kevin Biggio. Um, you know, Kevin Gosman, um, many other players on this team uh, have, have really worked hard to get it to where it is in the course of multiple seasons. And I think that in the case of Bo and Vlad, very clearly they understand the narrative of this team in a way that, no offense to Genesis Cabrera, but he probably doesn't, you know? So it's like these guys have, have been on that whole arc. They've been on that whole ride with those of us around the team who follow the team, all the fans know what it's been like the last few years and Bo and Vlad, I mean, it's, it's their life. Of course they, they very much feel the fact that they have not succeeded in the playoffs. And this is a chance for them to completely reverse that. And so it's a huge, huge opportunity for Bo and for Vlad as individuals and for this Blue Jays team as a collective to send this thing in a totally different direction and to reverse all those talking points about how frustrating this Toronto Blue Jays team has been um, and, and just to reverse their own experience of this season because for everyone in uniform, they felt that frustration too. And they would love to have the chance, well, they do have the chance, they would love to take advantage of that opportunity and make this season memorable for a different set of reasons. And uh, hey, nice, easy start here uh, facing the number two and number five starters in the American League by wins above replacement in uh, in Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray. Uh, should be fun to watch this one. Uh, really looking forward to your coverage, Ben. And, you know, the the next notebook, the, the streets are waiting. <laughs> well, 
I can't. I know. Uh, I, I appreciate the enthusiasm for my next notebook. I, I I'm not sure exactly when that will be, but make no mistake, there will be there will be many articles written um, starting potentially as soon as like 60 minutes from now. So uh, stay tuned. All right, Ben Nicholson Smith. Thanks so much, buddy. Yep. Thanks, Blake. Ben Nicholson-Smith, uh, MLB Insider at Sportsnet, MLB Editor at Sportsnet.ca. Make sure you're checking out his work, Shai's work, David Singh's work uh, throughout this series over on digital, on .ca. We, of course, have Arden reporting on the TV side as well. It's all hands on deck. Ben Wagner and Chris LaRue are in Minnesota for the radio call. Uh, we've got, obviously, the, the TV crew you are accustomed to because... As the Blue Jays, we get to have our own broadcast. Uh, it's Michael Kay and A-Rod on the U.S. side, which I saw some Yankees fans and Twins fans having some fun with. Uh, but, hey, it leaves a sliver of a hope that A-Rod would come on our show, which would uh, which would be fun. We're going to take a break. We're going to dive in further on Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray. See just how electric these guys are. Is their Cy Young candidacy a product of the AL Central? I think when you dig into the stuff, Probably not. Nobody knows the stuff better than Lance Brozdowski. Uh, so he joins us next to break down the pitching matchups in this series as Jay's Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Little Sunny Gray real estate for you there as we come back. Uh, Sunny Gray will start game two in this series. Uh, there is no band from Minnesota to make a Pablo Lopez pun about, though. So we go with Sunny Gray real estate uh, instead. Let's take a look at these pitching matchups. Let's tag in Lance Braz on YouTube, Substack, Twitter. He's uh, one of our favorite guests on Jay's Talk Plus player development. Analyst at Marquee, it's Lance Brozdowski. Lance, good morning, man. How fired up are you? Happy Wild Card Day. Oh, it's great. Yesterday was tough. It was the first day we didn't have baseball in a really long time, so I was kind of miserable. But at the same time, I was also prepping for the series, so I guess it was a good day. Yeah, I thought maybe we would get that, like, four outs of the Marlins-Mets game that was still suspended. <laughs> yeah. That, like, uh, John Birdie is, like, still standing on first base at City Field right now, <laughs> waiting for that one to finish up. But, yeah, we got to do a lot of prep, so I guess I'll kind of go guest's choice. Where do you want to start in this one? What is most interesting to you on the pitching side of this wildcard series between uh, Jason twin staff that you know arguably top three or four staffs in the playoff field here yeah i think the thing i'm going to go to is a little bit high level but in digging into this matchup the blue jays are facing two pitchers that throw a lot of sweepers right like sunny grays is a little more slurvy but i'm still going to call it a sweeper and pablo lopez went to drive line this offseason and added a sweeper it's really made him a lot more effective versus right-handed hitters definitely jumped his strikeout rate year over year than what he was with the marlins both those guys throw sweeper like quarter, a quarter of the time. They also do it, I think, most inter interestingly to opposite-handedness. So they throw it right into left-handed hitters. And they don't really reduce the usage of that pitch dramatically in doing that. Generally, sweepers are to get same-handed hitters out. But both these guys kind of buck that trend. So I looked at the Blue Jays' offense relative to how they performed against sweepers this season. They came in right around average. But the thing I found pretty interesting is that they had the third lowest swing rate on sweepers in Major League Baseball. It's kind of funny the Twins are actually second. So both these teams tend to be conservative when facing this pitch. And I think that's kind of one of the more high-level things I'm watching these first two games in terms of Twins pitchers facing Blue Jay hitters is kind of how much they can bait 
the Blue Jay hitters into swinging at anything that has that big lateral sweep. Yeah, it's a it's a tough one. And like you said, the Jays come out pretty average uh, against the right-handed sweeper overall. Uh, on one end, George Springer and Matt Chapman have struggled with it a little bit. You know, a guy like Vlad's pretty neutral. And then a guy like Bo Bichette or Kevin Biggio, um, you know, hit pretty well against it. It strikes me maybe this is just a, a Blue Jays specific thing, but it does seem like the, the Jays' more contact-oriented hitters uh, uh, have had a, a little bit of a better timing. Whit Merrifield, another guy who hits it well. Um, gen- broadly speaking, and, and I know these two guys are, are unique in Lopez and Gray because they do throw it righty to lefty. The Jays mm-hmm. could potentially start four lefties uh, in each of these games here. What is the, the strategy against the sweeper and guys like this who look, I know there's no real strategy against Sonny Gray. He's kind of like super Chris Bassett with six different pitches that all have good stuff. Um, but let, let's focus it on, on Lopez. Then if you are a lefty facing him, not only do you have to be worried about this sweeper now, but obviously the changeup is elite there as well. Um, how tough is it to, to kind of be in there as a, as a lefty with a guy who has the changeup as a weapon and the sweeper as a weapon. And, and then, hey, if you're not, if you're uh, caught napping, there's the curveball there too. Lopez strikes me as a, as a particularly difficult guy to hit against as a lefty. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. And looking at some of just the underlying bad ball quality against him from left-handed hitters, I think the key thing to point out is like, you got to kind of get him to his peripheral pitches. And I mean, this is the case with a lot of guys too, right? If they're throwing, you know, fastball change up around 60, 70% of the time, those pitches are probably thrown that much with good reason, which Pablo Lopez does, but the most damage he's going to allow from a contact quality standpoint is on the sweeper and on the curveball. Sweeper is like kind of a really hit or miss pitch opposite handed. I really do think it depends on the hitter in the box. You know, you mentioned a couple of the names that are exact names I had written out. I also had Dalton Varsho and Alejandro Kirk as being pretty good versus sweepers. I don't know if that's a matchup thing that they could kind of play into, but a guy like Brandon Belt is like his swing is so vertical. He's almost got, like the Joey Votto style, really vertical swing. Those swings have difficulty with sweepers with big lateral break, but they conversely do well versus cutters. Whereas if you have a much flatter, what you'd call like vertical bat angle, you're probably the opposite of that. You're probably a little better versus sweepers, not as good versus cutters. So I think from that standpoint, it's a matter of just kind of trying to get him early in the game, trying to get him off those peripheral into those peripheral pitches and the curveball and the sweeper if you're a left-handed hitter and trying to, I guess, beat him that way. That was really the only thing that jumped out about him to me, you know. And the thing, too, with sweepers, like, the strategy generally against them is probably just to not swing as much as you think you should. But I imagine that is much easier said than done, right? They're in the zone, I think, on average around 40% of the time. More often than not going to be out of the zone, going to be taken for a ball. So if you're a hitter, you probably just, as a righty, maybe just look more arm side miss. And lefty, you just got to hope that you can actually have the bad pass to be able to cover that lateral break coming into your hands. So when it comes to Pablo Lopez outside of the sweep, obviously that is, uh, you know, it's going to be a difficult pitch. He, he pitches it off of, uh, you know, off of the curveball, off of the fastball, off of the changeup. Something that the Jays have struggled with a little bit this year, and this was front of mind in June when they saw a couple of these guys against the Twins, including Bailey Ober, who, you know, we'll circle back on that and see if maybe he's going to start game three, or if he's even off the wild card roster. We'll see. But a, a style of pitcher the Jays haven't done awesome with is these guys who are and Lopez isn't huge but he's 6'4 he gets terrific extension down the mound and works the fastball Mm -hmm. high in the zone why is that why can that be so effective against certain hitter types it it seems to me you know that extension down the mound and working it up in the zone it makes a 95 from Pablo Lopez feel a little heavier than than 95 Um, why is that such a tough pitch 
Yeah, it's just because it's flat in terms of the approach of the ball at the plate. I think that's probably the simplest way to put it. A guy like Islands or Kirk, I think, is relatively good versus that flatter fastball at the top of the zone. Just because, again, how his plane of his bat works, how quickly he's able to flatten out his bat pass. But there's kind of like nuance that comes with the guys who have kind of that flatter swing generally work better against pitches up in the zone. But they're also not the ones that are probably barreling a ton of pitches. And they're also not the one, you know, they're inducing a lot of infield fly balls. Generally, those high-ride four seams at the top of the zone will induce infield fly balls, which are probably the least productive batted ball you can possibly have. So it's like a contrast thing. It's like you'd ideally love a hitter who has the adjustability to cover that pitch up then cover that pitch down. But then you're talking about, like, Mike Trout. <laughs> There's so few of them in Major League Baseball that, you know, you kind of have to pick your battles for the most part. Um, I, the only thing that jumps out for me against Pablo Lopez with the four seams is that he occasionally does miss down. And when he does miss down, he generally allows a lot of slug there. And some of the pitches I watched that were in that kind of, I'd say, middle to lower middle part of the zone against specifically right-handed hitters as well, it's just like it, it, it didn't look like he was trying to go down. So you, you, you think about hitting as I'm trying to hit misses, right? You look at where damage is created in the zone. It's generally around the middle of the play. So it's a matter of, like, how often can we get this guy to miss? And then when you get the opportunity to miss, do you take advantage of it? The best hitters in baseball take advantage of misses more often. So that's kind of what you're looking for is just, like, is there going to be an occasion where he pulls a ball down into the zone? And who is up when he does that? And do they take advantage of it? And I think that is, like, it probably the – you can say that about pretty much any pitching hitting matchup in the playoffs, right? Especially when the mistakes are magnified and you have a situation where maybe there's a guy on, he pulls the ball into the zone down where he's generally going to allow any kind of damage against forcing Pablo Lopez. And then you get, you know, hopefully a Springer up, hopefully a Vlad up in that spot. It's just a matter of like, I don't know, Pablo's probably going to pitch a little more conservatively against those guys than he is kind of, you know, against say a Brandon Belt or someone else like that. So the one, the, the one other, and I'm going to stay on Lopez here because he's starting game one, but also he's a, he's a helpful way to set up the series if Bailey Ober is going to pitch at some point because Ober is even taller and has that good extension down the mound and, and has the fastball that's flat up in the zone as well. So that is a, a little helpful. But another thing both of those guys do, which is interesting given what we know about platoon splits and things like that, is that both of those guys throw change-ups righty on righty uh, a good amount. Mm. Both of them are in the top 15 this year in how many change-ups a righty through to righty. Now, with Pablo Lopez, he's scaled that back a little bit this year, even though the results have been good. I think that's mostly because he introduced the sweeper, and something's got to give if you're going to throw the sweeper a bunch. Yep. Um, why are those guys able to pitch righty righty change-ups so effectively when you know the book is generally, hey, don't do that? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I wonder if it's just simply org philosophy. This is something I tweeted about, I think, about a week or so ago. I, I did some, like, advanced scouting with a uh, new software I got access to. It kind of poked around and looked at some hitters just in teams, too. I did it with the Orioles. It's a really long video. It's on YouTube. You can check it out. But it's really in-depth. It just gets into where I think some of these hitters have holes. And it's also really fun to look at the nuance between hitters. It's like, okay, how is, like, Acuna different than Austin Riley? Or how is... Matt Chapman different than Vlad Guerrero Jr. Like every hitter kind of has a fingerprint and not all fingerprints are the same, especially on the same team. So even though the righties, you know, you may want to pitch certain guys differently. And the thing I came to the conclusion of, and I'm not entirely sure if it's true, but I did get a text from a couple of people in front offices that were like, Hey, your tweet was making the rounds, which is always a good thing, right? It's always a good thing when someone texts you and says that. So I basically said, after digging through all these advanced reports, I think, right-handed pitchers need to throw more right-handed change-ups to good hitters specifically. Because mm. if you look at guys 
specifically the two that jumped out were Ronald Acuna and Mookie Betts. I know not applicable to the series, but I, I haven't looked at Vlad Guerrero, but I, I imagine there's a couple guys in the Twins lineup who are like this, who are really, really good hitters versus a variety of things. You know, maybe they don't chase those sweepers off the plate. Uh, they crush anything in the zone in terms of covering fastballs. And then, you know, how else are you going to get this guy out, right? Like, that's the thing I was looking at with Acuna. It was like, if you look at any of his underlying batted ball quality, the worst by a decent margin was against changeups. And maybe that's a byproduct of not seeing them a lot. But I just thought from the perspective of, you know, trying to get a guy like this out, especially if they're not going to swing and miss, like how can I just limit contact quality? Like the, really the only path there is to throw changeups generally in the bottom of the zone. And I'm not saying it's the only path because you could spot, say, you know, okay, cutter up away, uh, you know, that's an ideal spot. But it's like, you know, you think of how much a pitcher misses on average with any given pitch, even those with good command, and you go, okay, well, how much can I really guarantee that I'm going to put it and dot the pitch in this particular spot? You know, it's kind of unrealistic to me to be like, oh, if I just paint sweepers on the outer third of the plate, like, I'm probably going to get that guy out. It's like, okay, like, sweepers aren't in zone a lot at first. Generally, pitches with a lot of movement are harder to spot. So, like, how how confident am I that the, the scouting report should just be dot this pitch away from the hitter? It's like, I, it doesn't really do anything for me as a pitcher. So, if you can tell a pitcher like a Bailey Ober who throws a change of bright right like 28% of the time, which is well above the league average, first off, it's a good pitch, right? And he's probably able to keep it down. Those might be two qualifiers to actually executing the right-right changeup. But apart from that, it's just, it's maybe one of those things where you just don't see it a lot. So you're not really thinking about it. You also, you think of like the mental map hitters create. It's like, if you don't see a lot of something, then it's probably harder to come up with a game plan against it or just be comfortable from a ton of reps against it. And this is one of the reasons why I think we miss things with a lot of left-handed pitchers all the time. It's like they just have weird angles like guys don't see, which allows things to kind of play up. But I, I just generally like the right, right change of approach. Uh, again, with the qualifier that you could maybe locate it generally well, and it's, it's not a terrible pitch. So I could maybe see that being a thing they bring in Vogue. Um, maybe the Twins are just more comfortable with it as an organization than other teams. Fascinating series for that as well, especially if Ober gets into the mix. Uh, gets into the mix because yeah, the Jays haven't seen a lot of them, but they do have the best slugging percentage in baseball against righty righty changeups. So uh, it'll yeah. be a, an interesting cat and mouse there. In terms of the game three starter for Minnesota, Joe Ryan and Bailey Ober, both very good seasons. Uh, pretty different pitchers. We outlined a couple of the ways in which Ober and Lopez are similar. Do you lean toward hey? Ober had some success against the Blue Jays. He did some stuff that the Blue Jays struggle with. Or do you like more of a Joe Ryan, whether on performance or just, hey, we want to give this team a different look three times in three games. Which way do you kind of side with that Twins decision they have to make between Ober and Ryan? Yeah, it's a good question. I I think I might. This is tough. I I like what they've done with Joe Ryan. Joe Ryan's another guy who went to driveline in the offseason. Twins kind of pushed a lot of these guys there to rework mixes. Ryan's tweaks were, I think, pretty sharp. They kind of flipped into a split change from the change that he'd been throwing. They brought down fastball usage a little bit. And overall, I think it just kind of worked in terms of what they did. He's run into some problems of late, if you look at, like, July onward, basically second half of the season. And this also, he hit the IL, and then he came back, and he looked pretty good. But even after coming back from the IL stand, he hasn't been, say, as strong in September. And you're starting to see some fastball regression for him, where, like, that's one of the pitches in the repertoire that's allowing the most kind of slug and damage. He's, again, one of these kind of high-ride fastball guys particularly for him because he's throwing from a really low release height and getting a reasonable amount of vertical breaks. So that's another way you could kind of create a flat approach. Lopez is more of like a big extension, big ride guy. That's not really doing it via release height. So multiple ways to kind of get that flat approach fastball at the top of the zone. 
It's tough. I, I think I'd have to dig into why exactly Bailey Ober was good versus the Blue Jays and consider whether it's sustainable and also consider whether he has like another trick under his sleeve to kind of play on usage. That's another thing, too. That gets into a really fun idea of just like game theory in these matchups of like, okay, I'm Bailey Ober and I'm the Twins kind of figuring out what Bailey Ober's going to try to do to us. Last time he faced us, you know, he did this. It's like, okay, well, how confident are we that he's going to change that? Was it effective? And then you get into the idea of, like, well, if we can determine that Bailey Ober will, will change this, like, will he actually change it on the mound, you know? Maybe he just does what he did because the Blue Jays are expecting him to change something. That's always really fun to me, to look at the individual games. And I think it's relatively impossible to predict. It's only kind of something you can reflect on, you know, um, unless you have some lean as the organization. And this gets into, again, like, okay, hitter strength versus pitcher strength, like, would they really push Bailey over off right, right changeups and just have him hammer fastball sweeper? Cause I think that approach will work versus the blue Jays better. And because of your point that they're pretty good in slugging right, right changeups or like, are they going to, is, is Ober going to actually change that only because he knows the twins are, or excuse me, the blue Jays are thinking about that. It's like you can layer the problem and the questions over each other and, you know, come up with a variety of reasons why, but in the moment it's, it's really difficult, especially in one game, to kind of isolate off what a pitcher is going to do. So I, I guess to answer your question, I think maybe I'd lean Bailey over um, partially because of the success, partially because I think Joe Ryan of late just hasn't been as strong as he was earlier in the year. You can also play around with some matchup thing where you use both of them, especially if it's a must situation yeah. for the twins, right? Just trying to survive to the next round. Give me Bailey over for three, turn over the lineup once or twice, and then give me Joe Ryan for another three and then go to the pen. Uh, the Toronto Blue Jays might be facing similar uh, decisions. Kevin Gosman, game one. Jose Brios, game two. Presumably, Chris Bassett, game three, with Yusei Kikuchi available out of the bullpen. What are you looking for on the Jays' side of this pitching matchup? What do you like about the way the Jays line up with uh, a lefty-heavy and powerful Twins team, but with you know a really, really strong starting rotation on the Jays' side? Yeah, for sure. I, I think, and this is dumb because it's always the... <laughs> Of course they need to win game one. Any team's going to want to <laughs> win game one. But I really do think this is the game to win with Kevin Gossman on the mound. Like, I I get that the four seam is where he gives up a reasonable amount of damage to left-handed hitters. The other thing I'll point out here is the Twins' left-handed offense is really strong. They have a lot of really good left-handed hitters. They have the fourth-highest expected weighted on-base average, which is basically just how much damage are you creating, a little more predictive of staff and say, slugging percentage. They have the fourth highest from left-handed hitters in Major League Baseball. The top three teams are the Astros, Braves, and Dodgers. So that's a pretty good company to be in overall. This team is very left-handed heavy. They swing and miss a lot. There's a lot of slug. So you run into situations where I, I, they're a sneaky team in the playoffs because they just create high variance. You always hear the stats of, like, if you out-home a team in the playoffs, you're probably going to win. And I do think that applies to a team like the Twins. Glossman is, I think, the arm that can neutralize them because the split's so good. I'd be curious to see where the splitter usage is for him in this game one. Is like he's like a more of a 55% four seam, 40% splitter guy. But again, I mentioned the four seam is where he gives up damage to left handed hitters. So, in my opinion, it's like, okay, how much splitter can I throw before I start walking these guys too much? And for me, I'd, I'd come out really strong with it. I try to throw like 50, 60% and almost try to pitch on that pitch as opposed to pitching off the fastball with it. I think the idea that you have to use the fastball with his splitter to set it up is not necessarily something I, I, I totally buy into, which might be a little counterintuitive, but. I think he could try to just rip splitter and see what happens. The matchup that gets a little more concerning for me is Jose Barrios the next day. He's not as good versus left-handed hitters, and his slurve, the, the primary kind of breaking ball he throws, isn't something that's super effective right to left. 
So I get a little worried about that matchup for him where I think the leash might be a little shorter, especially if he gives up a home run or two. So I really think they need to jump out in game one, and then maybe you could give Barrios a short leash game two, kind of play it up, try to get an extra day of rest, so to speak, for some of the arms. Real quick before I let you go here, Lance, uh, a name we haven't discussed much yet in previewing this series, uh, Griffin Jacks out of the bullpen for the Twins. He obviously doesn't have tremendous surface numbers, not an elite K rate, a 386 ERA on the season. But when we dig into some of the pitch modeling stuff, he has a stuff plus rating that is just as high as Yoan Duran. Um, what do you like about Griffin Jacks? Are you a more of a believer in that stuff plus number or the overall results this late in the season? Yeah, it's a good question. He throws a nasty sweeper. I mean, the thing's like 88 miles per hour with like 11 inches of lateral break. So contextualize that. The average sweeper somewhere in like 82 to 84. You know, so he's basically three ticks above that. And he's also getting the same amount of sweep. So his ability to kind of create sweep at that velocity, I think, is really strong. That pitch has gotten slugged a bit since, I think, September, maybe August, which is a little surprising. The underlying stats there suggest it probably shouldn't be getting hit that hard. So I'd probably lean towards more of expecting that pitch to be successful overall. You know, he's, his sinker is also a pretty good pitch as well. That limits contact. So he's basically going to rip you with sinker sweeper. He's going to be matched up against most of the, the right-handed hitters there. I also mentioned, too, another name to throw out, Emilio Pagan. I kind of overlooked him the entire year. This is a, an arm in the Twins pen. You might remember him with the Padres if, you, if anyone uh, in Toronto watches West Coast baseball. But he gave up, like, crazy amounts of home runs for the majority of his career. He was always this guy that, like, no one liked having the twins brought him in uh, last year. And then this year they actually made some adjustments with him, kind of flipped up his cutter. It seems added some velo to that. And he's cut his home run rate in half. That might be one of the most surprising storylines to me is like the guy with home run problems for the entirety of his career, all of a sudden figured out how to not give up home runs. And he's a really good reliever since. So the back end of the twins pen is good. Like they, they can match up Griffin and Jack's ever they want. Um, I, and again, Yon Duran is just nasty. And I do think Emilio Pagan is, just a better pitcher with a harder cutter. And he had, does not have the same homer problem he's always had. So it's a really good back into the pen. Um, again, I guess to the point of just having to get on some of their starters early. Yeah. Which is uh Hey, that, that should always be the plan, right? You want to chase these yeah. guys. You want to make sure if there's a game three, you're facing Griffin Jacks or Emilio Pagan for the second time. And they're a little fatigued yeah. or, or whatever. Um, Lance Brzezowski. Thanks so much for taking the time out this morning. This was great. I feel much better prepared to pull my hair out as Pablo Lopez and Sonny Gray <laughs> mix and match five and six uh, really good pitches. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Best of luck to the, to the Blue Jays. Lance Brozdowski at Lance Braz on YouTube, on Substack, on Twitter. Indispensable uh, daily pitcher notes over on his Substack account. Some great YouTube breakdowns as well. Also a player development analyst at Marquee, but you don't have Chicago teams in the playoffs, so I don't know that you'll be seeing Lance pop up there. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're going to continue to set this series up. We'll take more of a uh, zoomed-out national view next as Ben Clemens of Fangraphs joins us. He wrote uh, Fangraphs' breakdown of this wildcard series, and the biggest question we got to dig into with Ben and Go to Chris Black's Twitter account at Down to Black right now. A tremendously funny tweet um, about the quality of competition gap between these teams. Uh, he put our boy Johnny from Gate 14 uh, on blast and saying basically that is the average hitter that Pablo Lopez uh, faced this season. We'll take a break. We'll see what Ben Clements thinks about that divisional quality gap and how that should change how we analyze the pitching matchups, especially in this series. Ben Clements next as Jay's Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Your daily dose of everything NFL. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy, sticking with the Minnesota theme, a little Dillinger 4 there. Uh, yeah, Minnesota. Good punk scene over the years. It's uh, who knew? Who knew? I guess what else are you going to do in Minnesota, right? You're going to play baseball and you are going to uh, go to shows similar to uh, what you do in Cambridge, Ontario. Uh, all right. Jays Twins gets going today. 438 first pitch. We have a Blue Jays roster. It is exactly as Ben Nicholson Smith and I predicted earlier in the show, almost like that information was out there before it became official. Uh, it is the 28-man roster you saw on Sunday, minus, of course, Wes Parsons and minus Hyunjin Ryu. So the Jays will carry 14 position players. Cam Eden has made the roster, David Schneider. Um, the 14 position players they were rolling with at the end of the season there, and they will go with uh, Gosman, Barrios, presumably Bassett, plus the bullpen they had going and Kikuchi sliding into a, a bullpen role there. The twins are still busy tweeting about things like uh, rookie of the month. Congrats to Royce Lewis, I guess, but uh, we all want to know if he's on the playoff roster, not if he won rookie of the month. We'll keep an eye out for the twins roster as we continue in the second hour here uh, right now. Let's go over to Fangraphs. Let's talk to Ben Clemens. He wrote the series preview over at Fangraphs. Ben, good morning, man. How are you? Happy wildcard day. I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, I'm good, man. Uh, I guess, and you got into this a little bit in your piece, and we'll pull out some of the specifics, but let's start at a high level here when it comes to the Twins. The Toronto Blue Jays just won 89 games in what ended up the strongest division in the history of the divisional era, which goes back to 1969. The Minnesota Twins won 87 games in what is one of the very worst divisions in that era. Uh, the Minnesota Twins played precious few games down the stretch against winning teams. I don't know if I believe the iron sharpens iron thing. I, I don't really know what we make of this. But when you dig into what the Twins have done and you try to figure out what the Twins will look like in a playoff series, how much does the weakness of the AL central and the fact that the twins played far fewer games against good teams than anyone else in baseball, statistically, how much does that inform your analysis this time of year? So it does inform your analysis. It has to a little because it matters who you play. Um, I think that looking at this in previous years, hasn't found much of an effect. I think the real reason for that is that the series are short and it, it's just hard to find much of an effect for anything uh, in you know, three game, five game series. Like the, the the team who just plays better on those three days will win. And therefore like a lot of the stuff gets lost in the noise. It's especially confusing this year because they changed the schedule so much um, quote unquote balancing it. Although they didn't really like you, you still play more games against the division, but like the, the expansion of playing all 30 teams in baseball and cutting back some division games on that means that we're just going to have to do more work on trying to figure out what this means long-term. To the extent that I'm worried about it for the Twins, worried that it reflects in their stats somewhere where they're not real, it's the pitching to me. Because, like, I, I just kind of buy that a lot of these hitters are good, and there's some decent pitching in the, uh, in the AL Central. I, I think the Tigers and uh, Guardians particularly have pretty good staffs, but uh, the Royals picked up a little bit with Cole Reagans, et cetera, in the second half. But there's a lot, a lot of bad hitters in that division. It is not the AL East. And so, yeah, you get down into like, like is Pablo Lopez actually a Cy Young contender? Yeah. But did he have an easier degree of difficulty than Kevin Gaussman? Like, yeah, by a lot. So I, th I think I give the tiebreaker in a lot of these, like kind of, oh, both players have the same war kind of like lazy analyses to the Jays. Because, yeah, they, they just have a higher degree of difficulty to get to the same thing. 
And I think that's fair. And look, uh, home run is the same distance, give or take a little bit. Uh, home runs the same distance, right? If you uh, if you lead the league in home, <clears throat> if you lead the league in home runs, sorry about that. Um, yeah, you can't really fake that. Otherwise, all the teams in the AL Central would lead the league in home runs. Uh, there is a little yeah. bit more. Uh, and like you said, the Tigers and Guardians uh, have some pitching quality there. Certainly not the other teams in uh, in that division. And, and I guess the other no. thing, too, is, you know, strength of schedule is not static, right? The, the quality of a team when you face them is not the same for all 162 games. And I think that's actually true of the Twins, who, when they were leading the AL Central and the Jays played them in June... I didn't think they were very good. Some of their guys were underperforming. Some yeah. of the rookies hadn't shown much yet. But I think the biggest swing piece, and you wrote about this in your preview, is that if we're looking for reasons to think the Twins are legitimate, it's that they have retooled this bullpen on the fly this year, and it now looks like a playoff-caliber bullpen. Would you agree with that assessment? I would, and I think that's just true of the whole roster, to be honestly, to be honest with you. like The bullpen looks a lot better. Um, the hitters look a lot better and the bullpen also has managed to shorten up. Everyone gets to in the playoffs, but that matters a lot more for the twins than for a lot of teams. The twins back of their bullpen, like the guys who just won't be here in October, were just abysmal this year. Like, like you think the blue Jays back of their bullpen was bad. And like every team thinks the back of their bullpen is bad. Every fan does, but the twins were just, it was a real disaster. I mean, they traded, like significant resources for Pablo Lopez basically got rid of him for nothing for Dylan Floro and Dylan Floro might not make the postseason roster. <laughs> like, that, that's the guy they thought was going to be their closer. Um, they've, they've had to do a, a huge retool. The it's worked. And I didn't even get into this because I just ran out of space in that preview, but they're also experimenting with starters out of the bullpen. Like Chris Paddock, who's rehabbing has looked really good out of the bullpen. Kind of hard to know. That's just the fact that he barely pitched any games in relief. But yeah, they. I think the whole conceit of my preview is that probably like you, I saw the Twins jump out to a lead in the AL Central in June, and then I said, eh, like I don't know, like I'm sure they're going to win it. I'm not interested in this team or this division. Like, let's just file this away for October. That some bad team on the AL Central. Yeah, and right? you like presumably that's similar to what you did. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And then I looked at them and I was like, wow, they got a lot better in the second half. That's surprising. And and it's tough to feel too, you know, too great about it because they were still getting better against the, the most cake schedule in the second half of the season. I think they only played two winning teams over the final two months of the season. But, you know, a velocity reading off of Chris Paddock's arm is still a velocity reading. Uh, the fact that you can, you know, the Jays have some of this luxury as well with Yusei Kikuchi and they've left Hyunjin Ryu off their playoff roster. Yeah. The, the Twins get the bounce Kenta Maeda to the bullpen where where he looked fairly effective in his, his first couple or his first kind of uh, long man stint. Uh, Louis Varland, another guy who they've transitioned to the bullpen and has looked much better as a reliever there. Um, so, you know, as we've, we've seen people kind of power rank the offenses and the defenses in the, in this series or, or sorry, the run scoring and the run prevention to, to frame it a little better. And the consensus seems to be that the Jays and twins between their starters and the bullpens have two of the three or four best pitching staffs in the postseason field. Um, when you look at the Jays bullpen, what they did at the day, and I know we've talked to you since the deadline, the Genesis Cabrera and Jordan Hicks additions, uh, the very failed Paul DeYoung addition uh, on the position player side. Um, how do you see the Blue Jays bullpen stacking up, especially when you consider that we think they haven't announced their game three starter yet, but we think you say Kikuchi is going to be a part of that bullpen as well. 
Yeah, I, I like them a lot. Um, so we have a Fangraphs podcast, Effectively Wild. We mm-hmm. drafted all, like, all the units of the playoff teams yesterday, and we only picked four. So, and the Blue Jays' bullpen got picked, I think, second or third. So we think that they're one of the top few bullpens in the playoffs. I mean, again, imagine me telling you this in spring. <laughs> You'd be like, no, come on. <laughs> like, it, I even imagine me telling you this two years ago that the Blue Jays would be one of the best run prevention teams in the playoffs. It would just be baffling. Like, they've done a great job kind of spinning all this around. I, I do think that it's funny that uh, Hicks and Romano are essentially the same, like, just, oh, my God, this is the most stressful, <laughs> successful save conversion I've ever seen. Uh, but despite the stress levels of those guys, the Blue Jays' bullpen is really good. Like Here we were talking about how good the Twins' bullpen has been since they changed it over. I'd prefer the Blue Jays' bullpen. Which is uh, great to but hear. And, yeah, and the you know Jays' fans are... Uh, this is the thing with baseball fandom is that I don't think any fan base trusts their bullpen or, or loves their bullpen. Um, but the Jays are, are in a good spot here. Um, on the offensive side... Obviously, one of the stories of the season has been this Jays offense underperforming to some degree. You know, they finished the year 14th in runs scored, 16th in home runs. Uh, A lot of guys individually either just scraped by meeting expectations or underperformed expectations. There are a few exceptions, but for the most part, I I think everyone would agree this offense was a a little disappointing. When, When you take a look at where they're at and maybe this ties into your thought about, yeah, it's easier to fake pitching in the AL central than it is, uh, than it is to fake hitting. Um, how do you see the blue Jays offense stack stacking up? What are you most curious about on the offensive side for the blue Jays? I think the the thing I'm most curious about is it's the question that's been dog, dogging the bullpen, the blue Jays for years is, Hey, can they hit righties? Because if they can, they're going to win the series. Um, the twins are very right-handed. They have like one and a half interesting lefty relievers, and that's it on the whole playoff roster. There's, there's no lefty starters. There's not a high leverage lefty arm unless you count Caleb Steelbar. So I think they're just going to kind of mothball for this series. Look, all the all the best players on the Blue Jays historically were righties. I think that adding Brandon Belt has made that like a much like much better equation for the Jays. And I I don't actually think adding Nelson Marshall has done that much, but Kevin Kiermaier lets them get a lot of run prevention and hit righties pretty well. That, to me, that's kind of the key to the series from the Blue Jays' side. And we've talked about this a bunch on the show. I just have a really hard time figuring out if they're going to keep underperforming like with runners in scoring position. My default is just no, and I don't know. Like Again, like it's three games. We're never going to figure that out from these games. But to me, a lot of it just comes down to, historically, the Jays' biggest weakness was on offense was righty pitching. They did a lot to change that. They did a lot. Like their three biggest hitting acquisitions this offseason were all lefties. Hey, that's smart. Um, and will that work? And I, I picked the Twins in my preview. I have just no feel on this series. Fangraphs has it like 54% Jays, 46% Twins. And that sounds right. These teams are closer mirror images than I thought. I just, I like what the Jays have done to add a lot of lefties and it's pretty convenient because they're facing all this righty, all this good righty starting pitching in the playoffs. You can imagine that being a much more uncomfortable feeling for you a few years ago. 
Yeah, yeah, you certainly uh, you certainly could. And they could conceivably, and we think they'll start four lefties uh, tonight against Pablo Lopez in, in Belt, Biggio, Farsho, and Kiermaier in, in some order, which also, you know, makes Rocco Baldelli's life at least a tiny bit more difficult, given that, like you said, they have one and a half lefty relievers that they can turn to. We actually just got the Twins playoff roster. Uh, so just to update the audience, Bailey Ober is not on it. So that answers who's starting game three, uh, and he won't be working out of the pen either, which is, uh, you know, he had some success against the Blue Jays. And does some things that the the Blue Jays don't hit particularly well. Ben, you seem surprised by that move. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I thought he'd be like a nice long man. I mm-hmm. suppose that he's just he'll come back if they make the division series as their fourth starter. And you already have Kenta Maeda filling that role, so you don't need him. It really shows that uh, that they do have a deep bullpen now because he's, he's just a perfectly fine starter. I don't see a lot of difference between him and say. Yeah, like Kikuchi, Maeda, Joe Ryan, like that kind of tier of pitchers. So that's uh, I'm surprised by that, but I can see why, just given the current make the current structure of their roster. Also on that from Ryu being left off. Yes, the yeah the Ryu one is uh, is fairly straightforward. Um, yeah, even if it's uh, a little uncomfortable given what he's meant to this team and him being a vet and things like that. Uh, the other note for the the Twins roster, they are also going 14 and 12 like the Blue Jays are 14 position players. They are not going to activate Byron Buxton or Joey Gallo as we expected, but Carlos Correa and Royce Lewis are both on that roster. Um, ben, obviously these were big, big question marks uh, and the question marks now are well, what are you going to expect from these guys? Carlos Correa dealing with plantar fasciitis, which I'm not a pro athlete. I've had plantar fasciitis. I don't know that that just goes away on you in the, in the middle of a playoff run here. Royce Lewis, who's coming off a rookie of the month and, you know, on, uh, on pace, had he played the whole year, maybe a rookie of the year candidacy. Um, what do you make of the Twins having two such important pieces you know, fresh off the IL without the opportunity to rehab and from the sounds of it, maybe not a thousand percent still. I'm for the, from a twins perspective, I'd be less worried about Lewis because he's presumably just going to DH. Uh, that, that seems okay. Like Edward Julian is like acceptable uh, defensively at second base and they can shuffle things around in the late innings to, to kind of hide him a little bit defensively. So just don't, don't overtax Lewis. Correa has to play shortstop, and this isn't Lewis where we're like, can he keep being one of the best hitters in baseball with a slight injury? It's like he was not good this year. Um, he was, he was, he had his worst full season, and he actually played a, a decent amount of the year, but he was bad, and it's, that can't all be attributed to injury, surely, but some of it can, and he's currently injured. I have very low expectations for Correa heading into the series, and honestly. Like, I don't actually know if putting him on the roster improves their chances. I think they have to if he says he can play. You know, that's, he's going to be there for a while, and that is just not a good way to start a relationship with your star player mm-hmm. and saying, well, I know you're active, but we've got this Kyle Farmer guy who we got for nothing this offseason. Like, like, they can't actually do that. But I, from a, if I were a Twins fan, I'd be very worried about Correa. Lewis, I just, like, if he's 90%, that's fine for them. And they're not giving up a ton of the DH spot anyway. I think that's a, like just the perfectly reasonable gamble. I, I think it goes well. Like there's just no way around this, that Korea, Korea's health is going to matter a lot. And it's going to be a question forever. Like, you know, he's, he's perhaps the most scrutinized 
medically player like in baseball because of all of his contract trauma last year. And if, yeah, I, I don't feel great about it in terms of him being healthy and suddenly unlocking a level of effectiveness he didn't have all year after, like you said, plantar fasciitis is awful. <laughs> yeah, it's not a, it's not it pleasant. It would really be amazing to me if he was great. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a tough one. And look, like you said, he's probably going to be in there because that's what you do when you have a Carlos Correa who has won a World Series and is so important to your clubhouse and your roster and things like that. Uh, ben, quickly before I let you go, the other three wild card series, uh, which one are you most looking forward to? I think I am most looking forward to probably the Rays series. I want to know, like, they've changed that, that team so much. I mean, we talk about the Twins changing. The Rays have changed their team by more than that. I think 40% of their offensive production above average this year is just not on the postseason roster for, you know, various injury or bad person reasons, uh, alleged bad person, I should say. Uh, yeah, I just I have no clue what's going on there. And likewise, I find it very funny how the Rangers just, but they just keep buying players and the players keep getting hurt and they keep buying more players and those players keep getting hurt and they keep buying more players. I think that's just a really funny contrast in styles. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Uh, also as a bonus, I'd, I'd love to see either of those teams play the Orioles just from a, you know, like kind of either the old established AL East uh, wisest guys who make teams good without money or a huge money team. Either of those playing the Orioles would be fun for me. So that's uh that's kind of the way I'm leaning in terms of what an interesting series to watch would be. But honestly, I'm just excited for all of them. I love this new format with four baseball games in a day for a few days. It's just fun. Yeah, my only gripe is that they went away from the quadruple header to give us two pairs of overlapped games, which is uh, less good for being an absolute degenerate yeah. for 12 hours for uh, a couple days in a row. Yeah, uh, as a fellow degenerate, I'm with you. Yeah, uh, Ben Clemens, uh, I'll let you go here. You have a, a great partial day being a, a partial degenerate. Thanks for making the time out, man. Absolutely. Talk to you soon, Blake. Ben Clemens of Fangraphs. Uh, you can head over to Fangraphs to read all of his great work, but especially uh, in more detail, his Jays Twins series preview. Uh, we have the Twins roster now. We have the, the Jays roster. We're going to break those down a little bit more in our next segment. Do Young Park of MLB.com of Twins.com is going to join us to uh, talk about the Twins side of things. Before we do that, let's give some stuff away. Starting today at 4.38 p.m., obviously, the Toronto Blue Jays are facing off against the Minnesota Twins in the best of three American League wildcard series. The Blue Jays are encouraging fans to grab friends and get next level loud to cheer on the team as they begin the race to bring a World Series championship back to Canada to help fans gear up. They've given us Blue Jays swag packs to give away this week to enter for a chance to win. Text in today's code word postseason to 590-590. Again, that's postseason to 590-590. We'll be giving away more swag packs tomorrow as well, so be sure to tune in. I do, know, do not know what's in them. If I did, I would probably take them and keep them for myself and give them to family and things like that, but they're keeping me blind so that I keep the contest honest, and one of you texting postseason to 590-590 will win. We'll give another away tomorrow. We'll take a break right now. On the other side, we'll talk to Doe Young Park of Twins.com. The Twins playoff roster is out. It does include Royce Lewis and Carlos Correa. It does not include Bailey Ober. It includes 14 position players, as does the Toronto Blue Jays roster. We'll continue to break that stuff down as Jays Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. 
Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. We are five hours from game one between the Jays and the Twins in the American League wildcard series. Kevin Gosman, Pablo Lopez tonight, Jose Brios, Sonny Gray tomorrow, TBD versus TBD on Thursday. But we now know at least that it won't be Bailey Ober. Uh, so it'll be Joe Ryan on the Twins side, I assume, given the way their playoff roster looks. We have those playoff rosters for both teams now, both teams opting to go 14 and 12. Let's dive into the twin side of things. We're joined now by Jay's Talks Plus' most interesting guest, former Jeopardy contestant. It's Do Young Park of MLB.com, of twins.com. Uh, Do Young Park, good morning. And uh, what are we doing perm wise for the playoffs? Oh, geez. I was trying, I was honestly hoping that that column, and so for everybody listening, this is a column that was published in the Minneapolis Star Tribune about like men getting perms <laughs> on their hair. And uh, I, it was known in the media community that I had, so I was interviewed for it. And I was hoping it would just kind of go by the wayside and just kind of, you know, everybody would forget about it. But no, uh, it got pointed out on Twitter. And uh, boy, is that taken off. Yeah, it certainly has. Uh, but hey. You, you look good, you feel good, you write good. That That's how this goes. Um, we're going to have to call Doe back and uh, try to get him on a, a better line here as we work through some of the Twins roster decisions. If you missed it a little earlier, the Blue Jays roster is what we had started to expect it would be. They're going with 14 position players, uh, which means that the bench that you saw used down the stretch here is the bench that they will have. They'll have Tyler Heineman, obviously, as a, a second catcher there, and then... If we if they start who we think they're going to start, their bench would be Santiago Espinal, Whit Merrifield, Davis Schneider, and pinch runner extraordinaire Cam Eden, who we still haven't seen a lot of, but good for him getting his uh, his first career hit and things like that. Uh, this past week, the Twins are also going fourteen and twelve. We have Do Young Park back now. Uh, man, I guess first question: Did anything surprise you about this Twins roster that that came down in the last half hour or so for this wild card series? Nope, this was exactly what we expected. 14-12 with Royce Lewis and Carlos Correa on the roster and Byron Buxton off the roster. I mean, those three were kind of the only real questions that uh, lingered heading into heading into Monday's workout day and today's roster reveal because uh, they've all been dealing with kind of their lingering injuries. Carlos Correa with the plantar fasciitis in the left foot, Royce Lewis with a hamstring strain from two weeks ago, and Byron Buxton with kind of the general right knee issues that have been bothering him all year. Um, and it looked like Correa and Lewis were trending to be on the roster and uh, Buxton wasn't. And that's what happened. And Lewis, the decision in particular, is really, really critical for this team. Uh, he's been their hottest hitter all season, especially in September. He literally just won AL Rookie hmm. of the Month, like announced like 10 minutes before the roster decisions. Um, and uh, he's the focal point of the lineup and the focal point of that clubhouse. And it cannot be it cannot be overstated how important he is to this lineup. And obviously you would, in an ideal world, love to have him playing third base, but from the sounds of it in, you know, yesterday, you guys down to media day and, and everything like that, the fact that maybe that hamstring still not a thousand percent, would you anticipate he's slotting in as the DH every game? I would think so. And I think that made Buxton's pass to the roster, however slim it might've been even tougher, just because, 
Twins need Lewis's bat. He sounded less than optimistic about running at 100% when we talked to him yesterday. So I would assume it's going to be something like a DH role. Maybe they'd be okay with him standing at third base. But again, he's so important that you can't risk, I think, uh, him tweaking something if he has to charge a bunt or charge a grounder or something like that. And I think given his importance, given his importance to this team, and if the Twins are fortunate enough to move on, they would want him obviously at his best. So I think they're really going to try to take it easy on him and pick and choose their moments for the running and um, hopefully not the fielding for him in that case. And he's hit second, third, fourth in this lineup for the most part. Um, Obviously he is uh, a top prospect, right? He was the number one overall pick. He came into this year, I believe per fan graphs, he was uh, second on the on the team's prospect list. He is a guy who we all expected to be pretty good at some point in the future. However, he didn't play affiliated ball in 2020. Obviously he, He missed all of 2021. Even last year, he only played 46 games across AAA and the major league level. How surprising was it to see once he got to the major league level this year that he was this good this quickly, not only showing more power than he'd shown in the minor leagues, really, but just all around being this good this quickly, given how the last three years had been so limited for him. It was utterly stunning. And I think the twins would say that too. Um, when, I mean, they obviously, they obviously loved him. He was the number one overall pick. Um, his prospect pedigree had been kind of all over the place. At first he was a quick riser. And then there were questions about kind of the swing mechanics and the, uh, and the positional fits and whether he could stick at shortstop and that sort of thing. So he was kind of up and down and kind of how he was viewed as a prospect. And then obviously when the back-to-back torn ACLs came into play, uh, it really killed all of his, you know, his, the, the polish he could get done in the high minors. And then he came back and the twins were essentially like, well, we gave him like a cameo last year because we were forced to, because Carlos Correa got hurt and he did fine. So I guess we'll stick him in the big leagues and just see how it goes and respond to how he does. And he has been their best hitter. My goodness. I mean, it's been absolutely crazy. I mean, those, the mechanical questions about maybe the longer swing or that sort of thing, you know, those just kind of naturally settled down. Um, the league is adjusted to him. He's adjusting back. Um, he just kind of plays purely based on instincts and he's got the athleticism and the baseball skills and everything like that, where there hasn't really been a transitional period for him. It's absolutely crazy where, and it, he, he, he just kind of keeps going. We think, okay, well, this is where they make this adjustment or that adjustment. And, uh, been able to shoot the ball the other way when he needs to he's been able to turn on pitches when he needs to um, pretty much whenever there's a runner in scoring position he comes through I think he has something like a 1200 OPS for his career with runners in scoring position he hasn't just been their guy he's been their guy in the big spots and again it's it's absolutely crazy how quickly he adapt he not only adapted to this league but became a focal point of this clubhouse he's also like the most charismatic guy in there even when he was injured again uh, with an oblique for much of this season, the team was still using his celebrations and like, yeah, it feels like he's still here. I mean, he's, he is that guy. And again, I cannot overstate how important it was for the twins to get him back on this roster for this series. So in a different way, certainly, and maybe less of a bombastic personality, but Carlos Correa is pretty important to that room as well. Obviously a guy who this time of year maybe takes on extra importance, given that he's gone through it a number of times, but with Carlos Correa, you know, the DH spot 
isn't available there. He's going to have to play shortstop if he's in the lineup. And obviously he did not have a particularly strong offensive season, even if he'd been a little better uh, before this latest setback. Um, what do you make of, you know, what is your outlook for Carlos Correa in this series with dealing with an injury that, you know, we know doesn't just go away. He's kind of dealt with it on and off all season. And here at the, the tail end of what's arguably the worst season of his career so far. Yeah, Correa would be the first to tell you that he has just been bad on offense this year. That's no surprise. And uh, it's really, like you mentioned, the plantar fasciitis that's been lingering since May. And uh, he's never going to come out and explicitly say, oh, yeah, that's the reason why it's been so But that's the reason why it's been so bad. I mean, it's his plant foot in his swing. It's his front foot in his swing. And so you, you talk to the hitting coaches, and essentially it's the mechanics that kind of prevent him from driving the ball in the air or on a line. He's hitting a lot more balls into the ground. You know, the offensive numbers are down. But what happened in the final weeks of the regular season is that the plantar fascia in the foot ruptured and while that sounds like a gnarly thing um based on how plantar fasciitis has been dealt with in the past it's my understanding that that actually helps the helps the condition of the foot it's part of the ultimate healing process is what i understand and it also kind of alleviates the discomfort in the heel and so correa at least says he's feeling good and is hoping that this is going to be the best he feels not only because he's had the two He's had the two weeks off to just kind of take it easy and recuperate his condition because the Twins have had absolutely nothing to play for for two weeks now. But also because at least as part of the healing process, this is what's supposed to facilitate it. This is what has helped guys ultimately get over this injury, and that's what Correa has kind of talked to other guys that have recently gone through this about over the last couple weeks. So he's really a wild card, and it's kind of crazy to say in a, in, a, in a lineup that was ostensibly built around Byron Buxton and Carlos Correa to say that Carlos Correa is the biggest wild card. We obviously know everything he's done in October in the past. He's one of the most experienced postseason contributors this game has ever seen. Uh, and regardless of whether he, if he, even if he's not at full strength, he's still an important presence for this lineup. He's still got that October magic in him. The Twins are at least hoping to get and um, there is potential for more there, depending on how it feels. And I think we're all just going to have to kind of get a sense for where that is together today, Carlos included. Uh, so a couple other small notes on, on the rosters here. Uh, Jordan Luplo not on the roster, which seems to me a, a mistake given the potential revenge game scenario where the Jays had DFA'd him earlier in the year. He's a lefty masher and the Jays have a couple lefties coming out of the pen. Just, just not enough opportunities for at-bats for him with, uh, with two righties coming back. Yeah, ultimately, the Twins are pretty set on going 14-12 on this roster, and that last position player spot was either going to be Buxton, Luplo, or Andrew Stevenson. And uh, with the way that the Twins roster has kind of gone over the last couple weeks as they've kind of solidified what they want to do in-game strategy-wise, Stevenson has just emerged as um, enough of a base-stealing and defensive asset to them late in games that I think uh, that's that's a key button that manager Rocco Baldelli really wants to be able to push uh, he Stevenson is one of two kind of push the button and he'll steal a base for you um, roster spots on this team. Uh, the other being Willie Castro. And uh, that's a facet of the game, the small ball, the uh, aggressive base running that uh, the twins have really kind of tried to emphasize a lot more this year than in years past. I mean, notably in 2019, when they broke the home run record, that was pretty much a non-existent element of their game. And uh, Stevenson's going to be a pretty key part of that. And that's why uh, 
they uh, chose to take him for that last roster spot instead. Which uh, which makes sense. We saw the Jays keep Cam Eden on their roster pretty much as a pinch running specialist and maybe defensive sub uh, as well. These little things matter way, way more in the postseason here. Um, Trevor Larnick, the, uh, the other guy being left off from uh, what the roster looked like on Sunday. On the pitching side, uh, don't you, you had said, that this looked exactly like you guys were expecting, um, you know, once we had an idea of those injuries. The one element that was at least a minor surprise to me because I was digging into the data and who profiles well against the Blue Jays and things like that. I would have thought Joe Ryan and Bailey Ober was more of a a coin toss, more of a discussion. In in your estimation, it was always going to be Joe Ryan in game three? Uh, We thought that it was honestly going to be a coin toss between Joe Ryan and Kent Maeda. And that could still be the case. I think both could be lined up for game three. Bover was never going to factor into that game. Um, He he started the last game of the regular season. He'd been lined up that way. And um, uh, just based on timing wise, he was just never going to be on the roster. Um, If you ask me, I mean, I think over is, like like you said, matchup wise in some ways and performance wise, certainly this season. Uh, He's, uh, I, I, you know, I would I would personally have started him game three if it were up to me. It's not up to me. And uh, Joe Ryan, you know, obviously the underlying numbers and the home run issues have been what they are in September. But the Twins um, still feel good about where the stuff is at um, and uh, feel like he kind of had an adjustment period back from the groin injury that kind of kept him off the active roster for a lot of August where he kind of found his stuff again and tried to settle back in. And sensibly, they've seen enough in the stuff to uh, trust him for a game like that. But you know, I figured there's a lot that could change. Obviously, Kenta Maeda is on this roster as kind of a swingman type. I imagine Ryan could have a short leash in a possible game three. Got a lot of like long reliever ish types that they could work with to piece this puzzle together in the coming days. When it comes to the bullpen, this is obviously a much improved bullpen. Uh, you know, you you look at Louis Varlin making that transition. Uh, Griffin Jacks, from a stuff perspective, has taken off. Chris Paddock's back in the mix there now as he works his way back. And, you know, certainly as a, as a short burst reliever, seems to be pretty effective there. Um, when you look at the left-handed side of it, though, uh, we don't have a ton of sample on Cody Funderburk yet. Caleb Thielbar, more of a, a known commodity when you think ahead to how Rocco Baldelli might manage the the late innings of these games, the Blue Jays are probably going to start four lefties in most of these games. Um, how how much faith do you think Baldelli has in his pair of lefties to play the matchup games, or is this going to be more about trusting the guys with stuff, regardless of the platoon situation? Yeah, they try to match up Caleb Thielbar against uh, the against the key lefties uh, again in uh, in opposing lineups in big spots whenever possible. But ultimately with the stuff that they do have, they have faith in um, their high leverage guys ability to handle both sides of the plate. Um, And that's something that's kind of been key in their development of those pitchers and their arsenals over the course of this season. And in terms of how they've deployed them ostensibly to get them used to situations like this. And just because they had faith that the stuff would play Uh, the late innings crew is Joe Onderon. He gets the ninth inning. He throws one Oh three. Got this splitter sinker thing that goes hundred miles an hour. His curveball goes like 88. Uh, he's, he's a monster when he's hitting the zone. Um, he's going to be there. The, the ultimate goal of the game is to get the ball to Joe Onderon in the ninth inning with the lead. Cause that's been a winning formula for them. Griffin Jacks is their primary setup. Uh, he has added a change up this year. That's made him much more of a factor against lefties. And uh, that sweeper that he throws, it's a very unique sweeper. He throws a really hard with a lot of break and they actually feel great about how that plays to both sides as well. He actually throws that the majority of the time. Brock Stewart, kind of an unknown factor, but he throws four plus pitches and they got him back in the last week. And obviously Thielbar is the other guy in there that they like 
against lefties a lot more, and righties have hit, hit the ball over the fence against him a lot more lately, but they still feel good about that matchup. And then, like you said, there's a lot of new pieces in that bullpen there, and it's the first time I've ever seen where a team kind of just swaps out half its bullpen, essentially a line change in the last like two weeks of the season with starters, with starters being converted, guys like Paddock coming back from injury, uh, to really just kind of overhaul the stuff. The stuff is really deep there. Where this bullpen might go wrong is that, like you mentioned, Barland has been absolutely fantastic. They got Paddock back. They got Stewart. But those guys are just kind of getting dropped into this playoff race to the playoffs now within the last week of the regular season. And they're just like, all right, we're going to sink or swim with you guys. Uh, We trust your stuff. But in a lot of cases, these guys are transitioning from starting for the first time or just coming back from extended injury. So there's a lot of high-risk, high-reward options there in that bullpen Twins feel great about the stuff as to whether that's actually going to translate on the field. They're putting a lot of faith in that stuff to play regardless of role right now. So Rocco Baldelli, some interesting decisions to make there. We'll see if he can press the right buttons in the bullpen on the position player side to to kind of circle back that way while we're on Rocco Baldelli. Uh, This Twins team used the pinch hitter more than any other postseason team this year. And a lot of that is obviously you've got some platoon guys. There are, I think seven left-handed or switch hitting guys on this playoff roster. So you've got a lot of mix and match potential here. Um, the Jays will have Tim Meza and Yenesis Cabrera as lefties out of the bullpen. We presume you say Kikuchi as a lefty out of the bullpen as well, unless they change course and opt to start him game three, but everyone's read seems to be, he he's a bullpen, uh, arm here in this series. Um, how, do you anticipate Rocco Baldelli still being as aggressive with his pinch hit and platoon strategy in a series like this or come playoff time? Does he take a bit more of a keep my best players on the field as much as possible mentality? I think that's, that's the biggest thing that we're really interested in seeing. I suspect that he's going to be a little less aggressive with the moves in the middle innings. Um, But we're going to have to see about that. And what I mean by that is, uh, I mean, obviously the Blue Jays are ostensibly lined up to start right-handers in all three games, which means that in all three of these games, the Twins will likely be starting Eddie Julian um, at second base, uh, Alex Kirilov at first base, and Matt Walner at left field. If you got a chance, take a look at those guys' platoon splits sometime. It's absolutely crazy. Um, They're like all world players against right-handed hitters and do absolutely nothing against lefties. And that's led to some really like almost comical situations at times where Rocco sometimes pinch hit for them in the first inning, pinch hit for them in like the (laughs) third or fourth innings, uh, just because they believe so firmly in playing from ahead. But at the same time, given the back, given the composition of the back end of this uh, blue Jays bullpen, where there could be tight games at the end of the game with like a Swanson or a Hicks or a Romano on the mound, those big righties, and uh, the matching up your young left-handed hitters against them are, is arguably the most favorable matchups that Rocco has on this uh, has on this roster. And so maybe if like a Kikuchi or a Cabrera or you mentioned these lefties that uh, come in, maybe if they're in the middle innings, Rocco's a little less aggressive with pinch hitting like a Kyle Farmer or Donovan Solano into the game, um, just holding a little more in reserve for those late innings. But again, that uh, that lefty lefty factor is really really big for all three of those hitters. So that's really something that, you know, we've that we've had some hints that maybe that could be a little less aggressive this postseason. 
But uh, we'll really have to see about that because the Twins really do not like matching up any of those left-handed bats against left-handed pitchers. Yeah, at all. Th- that's fascinating to me, and it's fascinating to me on the John Schneider side too because obviously you're lining up Gosman, Barrios, Bassett, three guys who you know pushed 200 innings this year. You want them to go a couple times through the order if you can. But I look, and if, hey, two of the top four or five guys in your order are lefties who are going to get pinch hit for in the fifth, and then when your righty leverage guys in Romano, Hicks, and Swanson come around and and they're facing lesser hitters and hitters from the right side. I don't know. I'd maybe be tempted to, yeah, go to one of those guys a little earlier than uh, I would under the assumption that Baldelli is going to make those moves. Um, just for anyone who doesn't know uh, what Do Young Park is referring to there is our, our guy, Edward Julien, has a 22 WRC plus against lefties and 151 against righties. Kirilov split is 37 and 138. Walner's split is 30 and 169. So even if you don't understand WRC plus, I think you can understand the giant gaps in those numbers. Uh, Doe, before I let you go here, man, uh, there is an 18-game playoff losing streak for this Minnesota Twins team. Obviously, the guys on this roster were not on those rosters. Um, they did not lose to the Yankees a bunch in 2004 and in the years since then, but you had a great quote from Pablo Lopez yesterday on understanding what that streak means to the franchise and to the fan base. Um I guess just this is more a question about Pablo Lopez and the ability for a player like that to empathize with a fan base about something that hangs as a cloud, but really has nothing to do with this team. Yeah. Pablo, first of all, is just a really just salt of the earth, incredible whip smart dude that gets it. So I'm not surprised that he's the one that would say something like that. Um, Here, here's what I've seen in that regard. This, and this is the third playoff series I've done for this team. Um, I also covered them in 19 and 20. And this seems like the team that is most willing to acknowledge those kind of sins of the past that they had absolutely nothing to do with because they understand what it means to the fans. That what that what Pablo Lopez said, that's a sentiment that's been said by, you know, Kyle Farmer and other team leaders um, just in the immediate aftermath of clinching where they realized they had nothing to do. Like you mentioned with the bullpen collapse of the 2004 fair balls team being called foul or Torrey Hunter missing it inside the park Homer in 2006. or that sort of thing. They also understand these fans have a lot to have a lot riding on this, even just one win. They obviously have their sights set on something far grander, but I think there is more of a, acknowledgement and embracing of what a win here would mean for this fan base. And to, to an extent that I haven't necessarily seen before really from this clubhouse where the reaction we've gotten in the past has just been, yeah, we had nothing to do with this. We're just kind of focused on our own game Um, as to whether that makes a difference at all. It's not going to make a difference at all in the on-field product. But at the same time, I don't think it hurts for the guys as they go out on the field to kind of understand the history that they're a part of and understand kind of what's at stake beyond just the result on the field for a lot of the people that are going to be making the trip out to target field to see today. Yeah. And Hey, some of those people will be Toronto blue Jays fans as well. I think, cause that's a always what we people. get. Yeah. That's uh, that's always a fun element. And, and Hey, I hope they packed multiple sets of clothing because it's supposed to be what 87 today and 67 tomorrow. Yep. Minnesota, October, nothing <laughs> like it. Uh, Do young park of twins.com of MLB.com. Thanks so much for taking the time out. I hope the 20 degree swing uh, has no negative impact on your perm. <laughs> it, it does. All right. Actually, it's pretty hardy.
<laughs> All right, man. Thanks so much. Uh, Do Young Park of twins.com. Uh, thanks to him, to Ben Clemens, to Lance Brzezdowski, and to Ben Nicholson-Smith for coming on today and helping us set up game one of this best two of three wildcard series. First pitch is at 438 today down at Target Field. It's Kevin Gosman against Pablo Lopez. Ben Wagner and Chris LaRue have the call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Dan Schulman and Buck Martinez have it for you on Sportsnet Television. They'll be with Hazel May and Arden Zwelling as well. BNS, Shai Davidi, David Singh all writing for you uh, as well on the digital side. And then here in Toronto for Blue Jay Central, we'll have Jamie Campbell, Joe Siddle, and Madison Shipman. I can't imagine you need a more complete team than that. But if you do, J.D. Bunkus is coming up next, 12 to 2. He's going to give you a couple more hours to set this wildcard series up he'll be followed by show ali and ben shulman two to four once again setting you up for this uh for this wildcard series here uh blair and barker will have you from four to four thirty for a short and proper pre-game there and then they will be with you for jay's talk post game of course they will uh obviously blair and barker they're they're the the big show this time of year and they will bounce around the Jays schedule uh, as necessary. We'll be back with you 10 a.m. tomorrow, win or lose. We'll, we'll see about the rest of the week, how, how this series goes uh, last. I'm very excited last year, the way the schedule worked out with games on Saturday and Sunday, we didn't even really get to do playoff Jays talk. Plus I was doing some pregame radio stuff, but we kind of set the series up on the Friday. And then by the time we had another episode, uh, the postseason run was done. I wasn't doing this show in 2020, but that's how quick it was that time as well. Here's hoping we get more than like 27 hours of Toronto Blue Jays playoffs uh, this time around. Gosman, Pablo Lopez, it's going to be a blast. Hope you're all able to enjoy today, 438 first pitch. Uh, hope you're able to put the anxieties of 162 games and of this playoff series behind you and enjoy playoff ball. There are few things as fun as the first wild card day with four games coming at you. Uh, so enjoy. Have a blast. We'll talk to you at 10 a.m. tomorrow. J.D. Bunkus has you next.